mad myself and encourage myself. Okay. I need to mad myself and encourage myself. I need to mad myself. Welcome back to the Queer Circle Podcast, where queer healers come to the mic to share their journeys and what they tell their younger selves. Today's guest is Talea McCain, a queer Afro-Latinx musician in Portobello, Panama. Talea has a degree in pre-law as an international human rights law student, as well as experience as an international musician. Today we catch up with Talea on the beautiful coast of Panama, a tall mountain and ocean behind her, bird song and palm trees swaying in the breeze. Welcome to the Queer Circle, Talea. My mom was a uh, Latter-day Saint, um, very, very, uh, uh, I don't, don't want to say culty, but a very specific type of Christian, right? And my father was a, a pastor. Um, and we grew up in kind of a polygamous environment. My father had another wife and her kids were around and then my mom was there as well. And I was a child, so I can't really speak on it, um, but I would like to think that it was consentful because I did have a very beautiful and loving relationship with the other mother, which her name was Mother Lily, um, up until my teenage years, up until she passed away. Uh, so this right away opened me up into like an otherness, you know, an otherness that was very natural. That's And that's very pivotal for me personally, because when you have a like framework of difference in your life but it's like natural like this is just what I know it kind of spirals you into other things well at least for me and all my siblings (laughs) and so being like the second youngest of like a ton of siblings but I'm gonna say nine (laughs) I'm just gonna say nine um set me into or brought me into the world of like uh just being like who am I how how do I fit with all these adults and grown-ups and siblings and people of the church around like who am I why am I here and how do I find my own individuality you know Um, later on when my dad passed away I was about five and my mom found her own spirituality which was Osera Set Society which is the spirituality that I'm most close to I don't take on any type of title but that is a basis for me in my personal life and that that brought into my life meditation and identifying with my ancestors and African deities and identifying with my inner God. You know, it's really mostly about you being that oneness, that brilliance, being that and going deeper and deeper and deeper into yourself to find that. Um, so yeah, that that's kind of my coming into this world story. <laughs> I grew up in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, like I told you, in very small, very close-knit community. Um, a, a lack of uh, diversity, I'd say, but 
at the same time, I feel like we were very specific the way we grew up, but a lack of diversity and just not seeing things other than the way I personally grew up, you know. Um, I think my first time, and it's a memory I cherish, my first time like kind of feeling myself or feeling any idea of sexuality, I was probably like six years old and I had a crush on this little girl. And I remember she got into a car accident and her face was all scratched up. And I told her, I grabbed her like, you're still beautiful. <laughs> like, don't worry. And I think sexuality in children is something that is often overlooked. It's definitely getting better. Um, I work with, I've worked with children for like seven years and children develop their sexuality at a very young age. And those are memories that can either scar you or be cherished memories, you know? And so for me, having that memory of being that young is it's very cherished and just being okay with that, you know? Um, as I got older, obviously that turned into something completely different. It turned into a weird thing for me. Like, why am I feeling this way about women? No one I know. I don't know any lesbians. I don't even know the idea of being gay. You know, I don't even know there's people that exist <laughs> that also have these emotions and feelings, you know? And so growing up, I'm just like kind of, I'd say, Mm, kind of bad. I was a bad little kid, you know, because I had these sexual ideas and I, the sexual identity that I perceived as wrong. And so I did things that I think that I thought at the time were wrong. And it made me feel bad about myself. You know, I had a little girlfriend when I was like 12 and we had our, you know, we kissed and everything. And I would just feel so bad about myself afterwards. And I will, I remember one time I literally was like crying in my bed because I was just like, why can't I just be normal, you know? And the, the girl, she's the, I mean, she's a woman now, of course. We are still like very good friends. We're really close and she's like married and everything. And it was nothing negative about the relationship in hindsight. But as a child, I really thought like I'm going to hell, you know? And, um, and so as I got a little bit older, um, I had my like first boyfriend who we would talk about, like basically talk about being bisexual all the time, both of us, you know, but we didn't know what we were talking about. And, <laughs> and that was like a year and a half I was with him and never wanted to be with him like sexually, you know, but um, I, I wanted to be there for him basically he was a good guy and I think he still is a good guy and I knew no I knew him since I was like three I had known him since I was three so you know um and I think as I got a little bit older maybe 15 16 I then just I, I say accepted it but then I realized like okay I'm a lesbian, you know, and I had this best friend in high school who was just, she was herself already, you know, and I went to arts high school, but, you know, for me, it was just a lower, slower process, but she was, a she was out there and she had like the crazy hair and the piercings and she was just like here and queer and she actually passed away, but she was, like I said, she was my beacon, like she was kind of like my be first my first um, interaction with someone who was just being themselves despite whatever the hell anybody else had to say. And so that helped me come out of my show. But even still, I went so polarized, male perspective, male gaze, even towards the way that I treated women. I just, in my mind, it was just like, what I know is if you're, a, if you're attracted to women, then you're a man. And so I'm attracted to women. And so I'm a man you know and so I was this idea of a man that I had perceived this all my life which was not a positive idea I was like sagging and I was like 
wearing <laughs> like extra large shirts on my little teenage body, you know, just like baggy ass clothes and dating all these different women and trying to like rack up my body count and shit like that. And that lasted me very well into my early 20s. Um, and then I finally met someone, a woman that just like kind of changed me and like kind of just fell in love, I suppose. I was just, I fell in love for the first time. And so my gears completely shift. And then she, we had enough space in our relationship for me to kind of be, become more aware of myself and become more aware of my sexuality and for me to become more aware of my femininity and take on the role or take not, not the role, but take, be aware of like, what's inside of me that wants to be her woman, you know, I want to be her woman now, like before I was the man, you know, I was a Mac, but now I like, I'm growing into this woman that I want to be for my wife, you know, and she was my fiance at the time. We ended up splitting up and then I kind of regressed a bit. I kind of went right back to what I was doing before her. And I'd say around maybe 25 or so, I got introduced to the LA queer scene. <laughs> I got introduced to Mustache Mondays. And if anyone, if any queer person was in LA around this time, you know, <laughs> Mustache Mondays with Nacho, rest in peace, sweet, sweet, sweet soul. And everybody else that was around was like, for me, it was like fucking Disneyland, you know? It was like, whoa, people are really just out here doing whatever the fuck they want and, and nobody cares you know and that's a beautiful thing is nobody cares nobody's judging you and, and if they are it's like whatever you know and so being in that downtown LA scene and just catching that vibe it just opened me up just completely opened me up and it made me realize too that it's me it's my insecurities it's my um timorous persona towards everybody's so easily impression or impressionable um it's me that's holding myself back and there's going to be people who don't like well you could be Barack Obama <laughs> there's going to be people who don't like what you do you could do everything by the book no matter what you do there's going to be people who don't like you period point blank so you might as well do you you know and um and yeah and that's when I just started identifying as queer and playing with my gender I try to grow out a mustache but then also like wear a skirt <laughs> and just playing with myself and realizing like this life is for that this life is for you to experience all these different avenues of yourself and enjoy it and like I am today however I feel like I might wear a skirt or I might wear whatever else you know how I am today is going to change and it's going to shift and it's going to metamorphosize into something even different later on and I'm just here for the road. I'm just non-resistant for the path to, or towards the path, you know? Yeah, starting off with my best friend. Um, her name is Bria. Um, we met at Milwaukee High School of the Arts in Wisconsin. And she was, I think, anyone that knew her loved her she was just there you know she was very um <laughs> she was very wild but she was also just there for you like whatever you needed if she lived like a couple of blocks from school <laughs> so if you didn't have lunch like come over my house you know let's eat or let's chill let's smoke you know she was just like that person that like everybody knew and everybody kind of kicked it with on their own individual time you know what I mean um she 
I think uh, one time <laughs> my grandmother met her and she said, my grandma had known, she known I was gay by this time. And she was like, stay away from those wild girls. <laughs> That's what my grandma said about Bria. And it was so funny because it was just like, you know, that that was the image you got from her. Like she was a wild girl, but she was also brilliant. She was, you know, getting A's in all her class. And we were in um, honors classes and everything, AP classes. And she was, um, she was a force to be reckoned with. And she actually ended up passing away um, in our in our junior year um, by something malicious. We, I don't, to this day, I don't really know what actually happened, but it was something malicious that happened actually in Las Vegas, I believe. And she, uh, I think when she passed away, her, like her, who she was really set more inside of me and just like kind of, I don't know, kind of at the early age, it kind of just told me like, don't give a fuck. Like, don't give a fuck. Life is so short and you never know what's going to happen. If you're going to live, like, why? There's a, I play the violin a little bit, a little bit. <laughs> and there's this teaching that says, like, don't play a passive note. And it's, it's like, like, that's like with life. Like, don't play, a, don't live a passive life for what reason? If you're going to do it, you know, do it with strength, do it with force. Um, so that was definitely, Bria was definitely one of my, and still is one of my, like, motivations, one of my heroes. Um, um, and then my mom, who definitely did struggle a bit with my sexuality, but I never knew. She never showed me, besides like facial expressions, just being a little bit caught off guard. <laughs> but she never like verbally or even physically like really showed me. I knew because I, when I got older, I realized certain things. And also my sisters told me, <laughs> you know, but my mom, she, um, she was just always there for me. And even with my first girlfriend, my first girlfriend, had, had a very bad like uh family environment and she would always drive all the way across town to pick her up when <clears throat> when they were fighting or whatever and just you know just show me support by way of showing my girlfriends to this day support and being there for us you know but my mom one thing about my mom just in general outside of even sexuality or anything she she found her own way in life my mom has um she has a Bell's palsy, which causes like the nerves in your face to die, basically. So her face is twisted, basically. And so my mom has, and, she, and then also she's Black and Mexican in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, in like the 50s and 60s. And that is like difficult as hell, you know? And she never, she never opted for passing because she could have easily passed it as like Puerto Rican or Dominican. And then that would kind of give her her own space, but she never opted for that. And she'll tell me to this day, like everyone used to, even her grandparents would tell her to say you're Puerto Rican. And she'd be like, no, I'm black, you know? <laughs> and so my mom throughout her life, she's had to make her own journey. She's had, she, it wasn't the privilege of like, okay, I'm going to be different because I am different. I acknowledge that. It was like, no, you are different. Everyone can see it as soon as they meet you and what you're going to do about it. And so she's had to make her own journey in this world and even finding our Sarah set, finding that spirituality. Um, and then just being herself, you know, it has always, and to this day, I tell her, like, you're my in-life spiritual guide. Like, I'm so blessed to have you as a spiritual guide in the third dimension. You know, I don't have to wonder if you're there. I know you're right here, you know, and we argue all the time. She's a Virgo and a Pisces. We argue a lot, <laughs> but we always find a solution and we give each other some space and then we're right back at it, you know? And so my mom is 
definitely and will always be one of my heroes and one of my just one of my foundational pieces of who I am because she is her to the fullest and unapologetically you know I know like we all have these relationships with our moms who are like our mom is the best it's like I try not to place her on that pedestal and she tells me too like you know she says I'm not impeccable I'm not without fallacy but it doesn't matter like it's like it's not even that the wrongs you've done or the wrongs you may do or when you're not right about something it's not that it's your whole approach your whole persistent way about going about uh going about your life you know it's just I just admire it and I learn from it every day really I think the hardest and darkest time and was also the first just the first um like catalyst in my life was when my little brother committed suicide um I was 19 and he was 17 and I had already went off to college in Atlanta Georgia and I just felt so much guilt you know to this day I to be frankly honest I still battle with it sometimes every once in a while also and I'll pull myself out of it and I'll work my way through it you know Um, but I felt so much guilt, so much guilt for leaving so much guilt. Like, why couldn't he have, why didn't he feel that he could call me so much guilt for putting tangible and intangible distance between us to where I wasn't there. And I didn't, I didn't acknowledge the signs because I definitely saw the signs, which is another level of guilt, but I didn't acknowledge it, um, just from being a child, not being aware. And that, that part of my life, that time of my life to be honest I I barely can remember that's how traumatizing it was I can barely remember that time I think it was I was so um inequipped to handle it that I just kind of I guess kind of coasted through those those times um and I can go back and I can see pictures and I can see like things that happen you know via Facebook or whatever and I'm like oh I remember that and then some stuff I'll see and I'm like what picture is that you know who are these people and it was like it was like friends of his, or it was like, and I'm like, who are these, you know, random people? I don't even remember what day this was or when this happened. Um, and I think um, right after that, I met my, my, or my to-be fiance at the time was my young girlfriend. And um, what happened was all these emotions and feelings just went under the rug. Because then I was in this beautiful new relationship and I was falling in love and getting engaged and whatever. We had just started like traveling and doing all this stuff. And then so when that ended at like 24, 23, that's when everything came. You know, that's when it all came. And I went into the deepest, darkest depression of of all time. And it was by way of all these different things, you know, all these different things building up over all these years, being completely unaware of it. And then it just, you know, just felt. And so I was doing horrible things like drinking NyQuil to go to sleep, you know, drinking bottles and buying bottles. And I would go to work and I would go, I, I dropped out of school at the time to go to work. I would come home, I would down a bottle of NyQuil and I would knock out. And the spiritual dreams and interactions that I had during this time were like no other. I had basically opened this gateway for all these negative spirits to latch onto me. And I would see them and I would hear them and I would feel them and it would hurt, you know, and it would be scary. And I 
although I was scared in that time, I kind of, it was kind of like extensions of me. It was kind of like how I felt. And so it, it, it didn't click in my mind, like, well, wait, stop, cleanse your energy. Like you're, you're allowing these different bodies to attach themselves to you. It was more so like, oh, that's just what's happening because I'm a piece of shit and my life's a piece of shit. And now I'm like having all these negative interactions with these manifestations and that's just the rest of my life now you know and it took me a while it took me years to get out of that even after like I say like maybe one or two year where I was I was out again kind of living my life and having beautiful experiences and partying and just going about my days it would cycle back every couple of months and I would go right into it again and I would be in bed for three or four days and it would be my friends or a woman I was dating that would come in there and be like, dude, what's up with you? You know, and I would just be like, nah, uh-uh, not today. You know, leave me alone. Like, let me be, you know, pass me a bottle of whatever we drink in and just get get the hell out. You know what I mean? And um, and so I got I honestly just got got tired of it and um, I got tired of it and I started finding the pieces to get myself out of it which I had already had I already had since childhood and I had been collecting them while I was going through my deep depression but I just didn't know how to use them or I didn't have the will to use them I suppose yeah so um so yeah I think those first two experiences with my brother and then with my and then breaking up with my ex-fiance and then it catapulted me into like my individuality and that's when I went to China and I went and I started traveling world by myself and then recently this last two years ago um which is where this new album came from my nephew passed away and so i my nephew was murdered very very violently by someone that we all knew why well, I, I personally didn't know him but the rest of the family knew him <clears throat> he had been around and it was just like a very tragic situation you know a very like just stunning jarring situation and it kind of tapped me right back into all that old trauma, you know, all that old trauma of just being completely helpless. I can't help my sister who's just so just grieving, just visibly grieving in such a, such a uh, shocking way. You know, I can't help her. I can't do anything for her. He's gone now. You know, there's, it's a feeling when you see the people you love as well and you can't do anything for them. Remembering seeing my mom and the look on her face and her body language and her behaviors and then seeing the same thing with my sister. And it's like, you can't do anything. So it kind of brought me right back into that. But this time more consciously, more consciously aware. It's like, okay, I'm not gonna let myself fall into this deep depression. I can't, I don't have time for that no more. You know, <laughs> that's not a privilege I have at this point. So what am I going to do? And um, I think uh, at the same time, I was like arguing with my family. I came back from China. I had changed dramatically in a short period of time and my family had changed as well. And we couldn't like get on the same wavelength. We couldn't get on the same rhythm. And so arguing with my family, experiencing my nephew's loss and then leaving again leaving again I just left again you know I went to England and I started creating this album and I just was like okay I'm gonna just be completely vulnerable and I'm just gonna say what the hell is on my mind and how I feel about myself and about everything around me and that was the most healing thing I think I've ever done actively done in my whole entire life more healing than meditation and therapy and (laughs) Reiki you know just being real, you know, just being vulnerable and being like, 
yo, this is me, by the way, here I am. You like it or you don't, and it's fine. Here I am, you know. I think um, some of the ways to give credit where credit is due is I began to read a lot, you know, and I think when you find yourself in this place of solitude, um, you you start reaching out for people, but by way of music and by way of literature and by way of movies and et cetera. And I started reading a lot. And I think a few books I want to mention that really helped me personally is uh, Virginia Woolf's A Room of Your A Room of One's Own. I might say the title wrong, A Room of One's Own, I believe. Um, uh, Miguel Raruz, Four Agreements. I mean, everyone knows that book and loves that book, but that book is awesome. Michael Singer's um, Untethered Soul. Um, um, so many, I don't want to forget any. But, uh, oh, um, uh, um, what's his name? Akbar, Naeem Akbar. Um, Naeem Akbar. The, a vision, visions of a black man, visions of a black man. And then also on that same spectrum, um, uh, Kwame Torre's uh, um, Black Power. And just being able to like, uh, just reading about and also watching and meditating and listening about like these universal struggles, these universal rifts um, taught me basically like there are tools out there and I think that's one of the hardest problems when you come from societies of which we come from as black people and as women we we aren't given many tools we aren't given many tools we don't even know where they are we don't even know that we should be looking for them you know what I mean <laughs> we don't know their solutions to these problems and these problems there aren't just me I'm not just a depressed person you know I'm not just a self-loathing person like these aren't who I am these are learned agreements that I've adapted to and I've claimed as my own, but they're actually not. And there's ways to get out of that. I think music, um, especially during times of depression, during times of happiness, during all times, all day, every day, <laughs> music heals, you know. I think uh, just a few artists for me personally that I've relied on over and over and over and over again. Erica Badu, uh, <laughs> Blood Orange, <clears throat> I mean, <clears throat> Blood Orange, yeah, Blood Orange, um, okay, Kaya, I believe you, she pronounced. Okay, Kaya, okay, Kaya. Um, Alt J. Um, so many. I just want to say the most important ones. Um, Modest Mouse, Kings of Leon, like so many artists and writers and creators in general. We have the beautiful gift and the beautiful mission of finding ourselves and then sharing ourselves. And when we do that we help others in their own journey of finding themselves and sharing themselves. And it's just a vicious, or it's not vicious cycle. It's just a beautiful cycle of creating and recreating and creating and recreating your world all around you. Um, so get into this album because this is my third album. <clears throat> I started doing music. Well, no, actually this is my fourth album. I started doing music when I was like 12. Uh, 12 and 13 that's actually at the music center I was going to is where I met my first girlfriend and I was always doing rap because that's what I knew you know that's what the community I came from is just, you do rap if you're doing music you're doing rap or you're doing R&B and I can't sing so I was doing rap <laughs> you know <laughs> and so I did my first album it was just 
I was a teenager and then I did my my second like real album I guess when I got up graduated college and it was it was beautiful and it was on the path of discovering myself but it was primarily rap my third album was definitely for me personally the least me because I was living in China and I was touring doing music and China at the time the Chinese uh scenes that I was going to they wanted that they wanted that rap music that we about to get lit we about to get turned music so I made that music because I wanted the crowd I wanted the gigs I wanted the money you know and we made everything from EDM house music to like trap music to like trap rap music and we just made it for the crowd and that made me that made me feel successful because I was touring I was making money I was paying bills off of music which is a rare thing to do you know (laughs) but it didn't make me feel like a musician it didn't make me feel like an artist you know and so when I started with this EP a couple of years ago um I just kind of really dove into my favorites Octavia Butler my favorite writers my favorite musicians and I identify with what made them my favorites, which was their weirdness, you know, their esotericness, their uniqueness. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to be me. You know, I'm just going to do, I'm just going to do, I don't know how many times in this vlog I'm going to say, I'm just going to be me. (laughs) It's a lot to be y'all. It's a lot to be, (laughs) but I just, you know, I grabbed my, my very poorly played violin, my piano and my guitar. And I just made these weird ass lofty, like floaty beats and then I just spoke basically poetry on them <laughs> in a in the rhythm you know and I spoke a little bit of French and a little bit of Chinese because that's where I had been and where I was you know where I had learned so much about myself and I brought that into the album I brought some sound bits from some people that I've met along my journey um and that's this album yeah that's the Talea album I think um, as I'm grow- as I grew up and as I came more into myself, I became um, like obviously different, and it caused a lot of people in my life from my past to be like, "You different, you know? Like, what's up with you? Like, you're not being yourself." And it's for me, it's like, no, I'm going, I'm being more of myself, you know. But you're, you don't like that. You want me to be the same, and that made me hate a lot of people. And I was, hate is very strong. I won't say hate because I feel like. Can you come back from hate? I don't really know. But I definitely came back from how strongly I disliked a lot of people, a lot of family, a lot of friends, and then just extensions of that, like people that kind of look like my family and friends, you know, like, oh, I'm not even going to try to get to know you, you know, I'm not even going to talk to you because you look like something that I've already experienced trauma around, you know? And so being like just completely distancing myself from a certain aspect of the Black culture, I suppose, and being like, ugh. I fucking hate this and I hate that and why 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 and making myself kind of like other like making my making myself way more other than I needed to make myself and I through going out my journey and like being honestly being in China being away from black people kind of made me 
just love black people, you know, like, damn, you know, I love our culture, how diverse it is. It's not this or that. It's just so much. It's so many different things. So multifaceted from our music to how we present ourselves to our food and everything. Like we're so diverse. And what I realized is I got caught up on the white perspective of, or the white supremacist perspective of what being black was because I came from such a segregated environment. And like, as I, as a queer person, as I knew a man and a woman, that's it. I knew black and white, that was it, you know? And so when I distanced myself from certain traits or certain behaviors, it was like, okay, if I'm not that, then I'm this, you know? And it was, it was taking so much away from myself, taking so much away from my own blackness, taking so much away from my own relation to my family and my culture that I need, you know, I need that, that is me. And I didn't realize I needed it until I just did not have it. And so coming back, and it took me years actually after China, even coming back to find this ideas or find this uh, connection again with my community, but coming back and realizing that the idea of my community that I have is so narrow-minded and so limited and it's so massive. And I, like you said, like you were saying about finding your community um, or finding, yeah, finding your community in LA, it's that finding my community within the black diaspora, finding my community, you know, like not, not being like, oh, I hate this. I hate LA because fucking Hollywood, you know, like there's so much more than Hollywood, you know, <laughs> there's so much more. And so I think when I came back, I and what I continue to perpetually do is just bring peace and openness and happiness to my community and flow non-resistantly, you know. And so yeah, I actually was talking to my good friend yesterday about the WAP video. <laughs> the WAP video. And then for me, when I seen the WAP video, I think the next day I seen Black is King. And I was like, what the fuck, you know, this fucking WAP video. No, I seen Black is King first and then I seen the WAP video. So I'm like, this WAP video, I'm just watching this beautiful idea of Blackness. I'm Black is King and then this fucking WAP video comes out, you know. <laughs> but what my mom told me and then my friend again told me yesterday is like, that's powerful. It's powerful to be able to do this and to be able to do that within the same breath. It's extremely powerful and it's massively inclusive. And that's what that's what the black community is. We are so inclusive. We, especially in America, we have had our culture stripped from us and then we created our own culture. And that culture that we created is ever expanding, ever creating. And I'm so blessed and so happy to be a part of that, you know? people who have ideas that they want to put out there that supports our community do them please do them because we need them need 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 so i'm gonna be so difficult right now <laughs> because i wouldn't i wouldn't even tamper with it i wouldn't change anything because i am so I'm so happy to be who I am right now. And it, the, every little last moment that I've experienced, every little last step that I've taken has led me to be this person. And I feel so, I feel so blessed to be me right now, you know? And not in a, not in a way like, oh, I'm awesome. But because I have this, this tool bag that I've collected from all these pain, all these experiences with pain and all this confusion, I have this tool bag that I utilize over and over and over again. And if I go back, 
I'm going to lose a tool because I'm going to tell myself I'm going to save myself from something. <laughs> so I'm going to lose a tool, but I need, I still need those tools. You know what I mean? But what I would say to my children or what I would take and say to my youngest or anyone searching for advice in, in similar experiences, I would literally, I would literally say, <laughs> I'm going to say it again. I would literally say, just be you. <laughs> I'm saying it. I this is this the theme of the day. But I would just be like, just do you, you know, just do you to the best of it. Try your best. And when you come up a little short, have comfort in the and the knowledge that you actually did your best, you know? And trust it. Trust your path. The comedic meaning of my name, which is tatted here, is Akshamsu. Um, I got this name when I was probably about eight or nine. And it's a whole ritual naming ceremony with my mom's spirituality. And it means the one who follows the righteous path. And when I was younger, I thought the righteous path was some like godly path of being like this humanitarian, you know, spiritual Mother Teresa type, you know. But as I got older and as I studied more, I realized that the righteous path is just your personal path. It's your personal intuitive path that you want to follow, whatever that may be. And being sincere and faithful to yourself, you know? And so I think if that is, that's the message that I would share with, or that I would try to share with my children or try to share with people around me is just follow your own path. There's so many influences we have from the moment we wake up to the moment we go to sleep. We have all these influences, all these ideas that are being fed to us. And if you're not careful, you're gonna digest all of them, you know? And just like block that out, follow your own personal path and trust it, trust yourself, you know? Thank you, Talea, for sharing your journey with us. If you'd like to learn more about Talea's work, follow her on Instagram at Talea McCain or go to QueerCirclePodcast.com. Today's episode features Talea's new song, Chinese Annie Reprise, off her latest EP, Talea, available on all streaming platforms. <laughs>